Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, um, in honor of a very special box set that uh, was released by the Criterion Collection, decided to do an episode on the filmography of Wong Kar Wai, uh, one of the signature filmmakers of his generation in Hong Kong. And a bunch of his movies have been newly remastered, which makes it kind of the perfect time to, if you've seen some of Wong Kar Wai's stuff before, to revisit it. And if you've not seen any of it before, now is kind of the perfect time to check it out and to help explore this filmography with me. I have back on the mic, Josh Martin. Josh, thank you again for stopping by the latest. Hello. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Uh, glad to be here. And, uh, Glad to be able to talk about uh, the films of Wong Kar Wai, who's, uh, like you said, one of the uh, the great directors um, in recent memory. And uh, and yeah, so thanks for having me on. So I should probably start big picture and kind of like whittle our way down talking about some of the more specific films and specifically the ones that have been newly remastered. But when you think of a Wong Kar Wai movie, what 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 kind of initially jumps to mind in terms of style, in terms of themes? Yeah, so I mean, his uh, the first film of his that I saw, um, as I imagine is the case for a lot of people, um, is uh, In the Mood for Love. Uh, it comes out in 2000, 2001. Um, that's his, um, probably his most famous and beloved film. Mm. Um and so, yeah, certainly in terms of style, um, obviously you think a lot about his collaboration with uh, the great cinematographer, Christopher Doyle, who shot a lot of Wong's films, um, which ended up uh, having this very unique look uh, and feel to them. Um, it is very easy, though, to sort of bracket off the films in Wong's filmography a little bit in terms of um, these sort of thematic or just stylistic pairings. Um, so like, for example, like in the mood for love is really, um, part two in a trilogy of loosely related films. Um, I would say that there's more of a direct connection with, uh, in the mood for love in 2046, which came out, uh, three or four years later, uh, and continues to follow, uh, Tony Lung's character. Um, although it's crossed over with some very strange and unique science fiction stuff in that film right um, we'll we'll get to that movie i'm yeah I'm sure. <laughs> definitely and uh that's probably the one that's the the most um if not you know as i'm sure we'll talk about as well some of the other um remasters are uh controversial already for the changes that Wong Kar Wai yes. has made and supervised directly himself whether that is changing color grading uh aspect ratios all kinds of stuff but 2046 is the one that's the hardest to find so i'm glad that's finally getting the big time uh restoration but when i think of themes certainly in those films and um and days of being wild which loosely connected but it does feature the tony lung character at the very end in a brief uh cameo um when it's, i think of it's those Ma- maggie chung's playing roughly the same character yeah that's that's the connecting thread, but okay, because that yeah. that is one of the two that I have not seen. I will I will admit on this podcast to having yeah uh, not seen Wong's first two movies, um, as Tears Go By and Days of Being Wild, um, yeah. which are both part of this box set. So I'm excited to kind of like get my hands on that and see. 
those yeah two especially and both films that were desperately in need of a restoration just simply from an availability standpoint those mm-hmm. were only really online on youtube and, and sort of you know uh crappy dvd copies that have been ripped uh several years ago so i'm glad those are getting uh i'm not the biggest fan of as tears go by which is um a unique if i remember correctly i believe that one is like maggie chung and there's like a love story with her cousin as well it was very strange but it's sort of like i've I've read a lot of people recently including um david ilrick at um indiewire kind of like compare that one to sort of it's it's very mean streets it's it's a rough like young young criminals in a big city and kind of just sort of like aimlessly wandering into scenarios and it it is not i i i've i've heard critics sort of pinpoint days of being wild as really more of the movie that kind of like the signature wong kar wai style comes into frame more in that movie whereas um as tears go by is more of just this kind of like cool indie crime movie yeah in hong kong absolutely and uh but yeah i mean certainly those later films because i think you talked about sort of what style and themes sort of reappear um you know certainly uh, nostalgia is a big sort of feeling that runs through um one car wise work as well as just this sort of romantic longing um and search for connection particularly in a, a, a changing hong kong seem to be the the sort of main uh, themes there certainly few films are uh, sort of filled with as much um, romantic longing as in the mood for love which is probably one of the great sort of um, examples of how um, you know film and cinematic sensuality and sexuality can be communicated in a very sort of subtle uh, yeah. gestural way um, we'll, we'll we'll get to that i mean just one yeah. of the like I don't know, three or four sexiest movies ever made and yeah. like nothing happens in it. It's yeah. just like a movie built on, you know, the 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 excitement of two like insanely attractive people that you just want to start making out at yeah. some moment and it's just like elongating that tension for as long as possible. So I think, you know, you mentioned In the Mood for Love being kind of the first one you saw. I can't I can't remember it. For me, it was either that movie or Chunking Express. Yeah, and I feel like, I feel like if I would say if you've never seen a Wong Kar Wai movie before, Chunking Express is probably like the best kind of gateway drug to have <laughs> into yeah. his filmography. Like In the Mood for Love, I think is unquestionably his masterpiece. Um, although that that movie is, you know, filled with so much, in my opinion, kind of like wonderful ambiguities that I could see it. It you know, Chunking Express is a much like cleaner entryway, um, and is kind of the movie that puts him on the map internationally. You know, I think Days of Being Wild and um As Tears Go By were kind of festival darlings and maybe had like, you know, built up some attention in Hong Kong, but yeah. Chunking Express is really the one that sort of explodes in internationally and thanks to a I'm looking at the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood poster behind you thanks to yeah. a mr quentin tarantino was yeah. you know he was kind of behind the distribution of that movie here in the u.s he and was. has talked yep. many a time about seeing it at a festival and just being like holy holy shit we gotta like people gotta see this yeah. and um for those who've never seen that movie i mean it basically 
is two dual storylines, both, you know, centering around policemen who are going through breakups and are lonely in this big city and then see a, a spark of love um, at, I, I'm probably going to butcher the name of it. I believe it's just the like Chung King market, but essentially it's like um, there, there's a really good Anthony Bourdain episode about Hong <laughs> Kong that it, he actually like, if you've never seen it, like he interviewed, it like hangs out with Christopher Doyle a lot. And Christopher Doyle actually like shoots part of the episode. Um, and they go to the like chunking market, which is just, it's kind of just this giant mall slash apartment complex from what I understand of like all kinds of um, different immigrants live there. And it's, it's basically just this giant indoor workspace where people can sell goods and um, go, you know, go up and live upstairs. And so that whole movie is kind of set in this kind of big metropolis indoor mall, essentially, um i don't know do you have any kind of like thoughts on on that movie in particular which i i think is just i mean it's just sort of pure electric filmmaking and is is dealing with these very kind of like relatable sort of kind of generic idea universal ideas of like love and longing and the excitement of meeting someone and like having a connection with them or feeling that moment of attraction with someone, but is, is done in just this really like hypnotic style. I mean, I I'm just thinking back to that movie and like that movie, there just isn't a whole lot that kind of happens in it, but you feel like everything is happening in it. And it's just such a great movie to kind of luxuriate in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, it's probably my favorite uh, Wong Kar Wai film. And, and I'll add one important preface to everything I say in this, um, in this podcast, which is that um, more than any other director, um, I feel like every time I see one of his films, um, I feel like I'm getting something new out of it and having um, a very new experience and opinion of it. And, Mm-hmm. Um, that's key because I think the first time I watched John King Express was a couple summers ago. Um, and it was, um, I was relatively underwhelmed by it. I think I'd only seen In the Mood for Love at that point. Um, and then I revisited it a year later and uh, felt everything that I felt I had missed the first time. Um, and you're absolutely right. It is such a, um, a kinetic film, uh, such an energetic film. Um, and one uh, where it's two stories sort of mirror each other in different ways. Um, like you said, the settings are the same and, um, you know, questions of, uh, connections, you know, the connections we make are the ones we miss. Um, uh, and it's, it's just such a, um, a great film, both the first half and there's just so many little details in it that are so memorable. I love the, um, so the cop and the, um, in the first half of the film is played by Takeshi Kaneshiro, who is also in Fallen Angels. Um, and if I had to pair together two films in the Wong Kar Wai filmography, uh, those are the two that fit together. Um, yeah. Very in- closely. Inter- interesting. You bring that up because the, you know, there's another movie that we'll get to in a little bit ashes of time that kind of fits in with both of those and essentially yeah. ashes of time which is not in the box set. And I kind of wanted to maybe next transition to the three movies that are not in the box set, but yeah. um, essentially that was, I think 
on paper supposed to be Wong Kar Wai's like big level up into kind of more mainstream Chinese cinema. It's this, you know, big period piece martial arts film. Yeah. That's maybe one of the movies that doesn't quite work for me in his filmography, but essentially he's having a rough time kind of like wrapping his head around the edit for that movie and to kind of clear his head does Chunking Express and essentially Fallen Angels is this movie that is um I believe it was someone at the AV club made this comparison the other day and I can't remember who it was, but um, essentially I, I heard the other day, someone mentioning is like fallen angels is to chunking express as amnesiac is to Radiohead's kid a of it is basically the, you know, the album that, uh, is made up of supplementary material that was not used for the kind of like more magnum opus, movie and so essentially he crafts this other movie out of these other plot lines that he wrote for chunking express but just to kind of like tighten that movie down got rid of them and then was like oh i can still do this other whole movie and can fashion this footage into something else yeah no and uh so fallen angels is the film of his that i've watched most recently i actually watched it for the second time i had seen it once before but um my memory of it was pretty rusty and so i watched it again uh this morning for as prep for the podcast and um yeah i mean it's certainly um an interesting film uh narratively in terms of because uh, chungking express is very singular stylistically in terms of um you know it's the first half follows one character. The second half follows an almost totally different set of characters. And I think there's either one or two moments where the film pauses for a moment and acknowledges a certain level of overlap. Obviously the two mm-hmm. stories mirror and, uh, and relate to each other on a grand. I believe level. they quite literally like bump into each other. They do. Like, yeah. like the, the two lead characters, like literally one bumps into the other and then you are like carried into the next story. And that is the rest of the movie. Yeah. I believe it's the cop. It's the cop from the first half. And then Fei Wong's character in the second half who works at one of the, um, the restaurants in the Chungking market, as you said. Um, and yeah, fallen angels doesn't follow that structure. It has a totally different way of, of doing things where, um once again it's another film where it's these two separate storylines that eventually converge um mm-hmm. but instead of converging sort of at the midpoint it it does sort of uh hop back and forth um until there's a sort of convergence at the very end and it's not exactly clear um for most of the runtime um there's a certain sense of uh if you haven't seen the film before or even if you just sort of uh, barely remember it uh on a scene to scene basis you are sort of wondering like okay why the hell am I watching these two stories in connection right. with one another? But at a certain point, it sort of blends together um, and it does so really well. Um, you're absolutely right in that it is sort of like the B-side to um, the grander and more effective uh, Chungking Express. Though I, I do think there is, um, the two films do provoke sort of uh, different emotions. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like very few films capture... I don't know, such pure romanticism and not in the sort of melancholic sense of in the mood for love. But I just love that moment at the end of Chungking Express when it's um, Tony Lung now runs the shop and Fei Wong comes back. And sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen it, but there's just this great romantic exchange that ends that film. Um, And there's so many sort of 
bursts of life throughout that. I, I love the scene where she's uh, cleaning the apartment and she's the, the mm. Baywon character sneaks into uh, the cop's apartment and like moves things around and cleans things when he's gone. And it's all set to the song dreams. Um, and uh, great, and great music movie. I great, just have to like bring great, great, I mean, great music. Movie. It's just Absolutely. like uh, from um, what a difference a day makes. Just yeah. Throughout, yeah. Yeah, and I'm dreaming. trying to what yeah, yes, California dreaming. I was yeah. like, why am I blanking on the <laughs> song that the 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 kind of like coffee stand girl that one of the cops fall that the Tony Lung cop character falls in love with, that the song that she is literally singing in every scene. But yeah, I know, you know, Barry Jenkins is a filmmaker who's very, very influenced by Wong Kar Wai, and there are many interviews out there of him talking about this movie, especially being a like hugely important on him and really talking about the music and kind of the music in this movie being this cool sort of like compression of time and space in a way of, you know, him growing up in Miami, I believe, and sort of seeing this movie in college and being like, oh, this this, this song that I grew up with and then this girl is singing it and like the what a difference a day makes these people in, over in hong kong are listening to this song and it's still this sort of romantic ballad and of longing um and, and i don't know that is something so i think cool and unique about um wong kar wise movies is there is that kind of universality to them and you do i think more than any other director as i've watched his work there's just this sort of like compression of the other side of the world is not the other side of the world. And it is just sort of like being fully enveloped inside the sort of city of Hong Kong and feeling like, although I'm sure I know nothing about that city and would be utterly lost if I went there, yeah. but, you know, get, getting this sort of like geographical exploration of that city and as well as kind of this just sort of like immediate connection to people at the other side of the world and, realizing they listen to the same music as you do and you know feeling the same emotions and stuff and i i think if you are someone out there kind of dipping your toes into just the the vastness of world cinema that's like a really exciting thing to have happen and was really exciting to me in college when i first started seeing some of these movies yeah absolutely and i think you're you're definitely right to touch on the sort of um cross-cultural transnational context of a lot of his films of even if they are set in uh, Hong Kong, there's a certain um, blending of different musical styles, different aesthetic styles, um, you know, even a film like Happy Together, where the characters are from Hong Kong in Argentina. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a film that I'm less familiar with than some of the other ones that we're talking about today. I've seen it once. Um, but I believe that's another one that relies on a lot of sort of uh, pop music references um, mm -hmm. to create this sort of complex soundtrack. But yeah, I mean, just going back to the, the sort of um, unique um, experience of watching these films. I mean, they're filled with such, uh, like we've said, romanticism, nostalgia, um, a certain depth of feeling, but even on just like a, on a just really pure aesthetic level, um, he relies on, at least in some of the, uh, on some of the nineties films, and it feels like a very nineties aesthetic when you're watching it. Um, but in Ashes of Time, Chungking Express and Fallen Angels, there's this like, um, 
it's I don't even know how to describe it. It's not quite slow motion. It almost feels like stop frames yeah. where it's this complex way of shooting action. Um, and it seems like it would be horribly dated. It seems like you would look back on that and go, oh, that's like a relic of, um, you know, a past a past era of filmmaking, but it still works mm-hmm. so well. Um, as I was watching today, uh, Fallen Angels, it's just those action scenes in that film are so uh, visceral and he has such a way of involving the spectator. Um, I, there always ends up with like um, blood on the camera lens and you can like mm-hmm. see it as it's tracking the action. Um, and it's so interesting that those scenes of these really with, and they're once again set to sort of um, a, a mix of, of pop music um, jukeboxes are very important and radios and all, all sorts of things uh, in the Wong Kar Wai universe. And I do like the way that um, the criterion frames the box set. And a lot of people have talked about um, Wong Kar Wai's films as a as sort of cinematic universe under themselves. Someone wrote right. that this week and I can't remember. And um, you know, they, the criterion box set is called the, I believe it's called the world of Wong Kar Wai. And that's mm-hmm. a very sort of apt phrase because his films really do um feel like a sort of um comprehensive world uh for the viewer to enter um and it it's one that provides sort of uh, unique aesthetic pleasures while also um being this really um profound emotional experience as well and i think that's what makes his films uh so singular in uh, international cinema particularly since the 1990s so let's maybe talk about some of the movies that are not in the box set, which I, I would say are kind of the three that are not part of this sort of like signature 90s, kind of early 2000s yeah. mode. Um, they are Ashes of Time, which sort of mentioned is kind of his big, which although it feels weird to say big because it's still like very intimate kind of small movie, but yeah. on, on paper, his sort of like big martial arts epic and then My Blueberry Nights, which is his first English language and still only English language movie from 2007. And which I have Gr- never, I have never seen. I will cop to that one. I have not seen that. That's the, uh, that and the short film that he did as part of Eros. I think it's the yes. short film's called The Hand. Yes, um, I have never seen that one. I've either. never seen that either. And I believe that one's in the set. It was part of a, a three short film, um, omnibus film that he did with uh michelangelo antonioni and uh steven soderbergh but i haven't seen that uh, that yeah. and my blueberry nights but yeah sorry continue yeah oh no but and then you know the last one the grandmaster which is his most recent movie from 2013 and is another martial arts movie though more of a biopic um about Ip man and yeah. I don't know what what are kind of your feelings on these movies you, you mentioned having not seen my blueberry nights i would say that and ashes of time are the two that do not work for me really at all i think yeah there have been many people i've seen you know in sort of kind of like um retrospective pieces on his work that have been very honest of just like i don't know anything that's going on in ashes of time and that seems to be a movie that he like tinkered with so long to the point of just sort of like only he knows what's going on in that movie and it's it's so kind of vague but also i feel like his style lends itself to such kind of um i don't know such kind of like universal sort of day-to-day interactions and themes and he's able to sort of generate um 
so much out of that simplicity but then when you get sort of like a big epic like this it it kind of becomes incomprehensible to a point um and you know my blueberry nights i think a fascinating example of what sometimes happens when these great international filmmakers you know hollywood comes beckoning and they're like come come here wong kar wai and yeah. they um do a movie and and something gets sort of lost in translation is the best that i can explain and it's sort of like the themes are very similar to kind of like what they typically do but you know because they're not working necessarily with a language that's um they're it, you know is their first language they um i don't know just something gets lost and that movie kind of uh becomes <laughs> sort of eye rolling and lines that would maybe like you could see sounding romantic or brilliant coming out of mouth of like a, a one of Wong Kar Wai's sort of uh typical sort of stock actors sounds like utterly preposterous coming out of like Jude Law's mouth for instance yeah. um and I don't know how you feel about the Grandmaster I mean I think that movie is worth seeing I think for the the action set pieces alone which are pretty breathtaking although i think that movie also suffers a bit from like that's a pretty plot heavy movie and maybe part of it is because i've seen the american cut that um the disgraced harvey weinstein put out into the world but um i would say that is also similarly to ashes of time like a very very hard movie to follow because the things wong kar wai is interested in and the way his film sort of unflow stylistically just do not lend themselves to these very sort of plot driven narratives in which you need to keep track of like this person is aligned with this person and these are sort of these factions and you know this ha- is this family hierarchy and stuff like that yeah so i i will uh, i will second your thoughts on um the uh the grandmaster in terms of it's a film that i've seen but I've seen the American cut, so I don't fully feel like I've seen it. Right. Um, and I, I think that's a film. It's important to talk a little bit about like what the context of what was changed there. Um, so I believe the the American cut is 108 minutes. The um, original uh, Hong Kong cut is 130 minutes. When Weinstein gets it, he decides, oh, it's too confusing. It's too, uh, you know, American audiences aren't going to understand this. They have you know no idea what's going on. Um, so instead of letting, and I was reading this in, gosh, somewhere earlier this week, might have been IndieWire, might have been somewhere else, but was reading that it was uh, that Wong personally supervised the the recutting of it. Mm. Uh, unlike, you know, Harvey had a notorious uh, ability to right. just sort of go back and cut films without directors, um, you know, their knowledge or their input. But Wong Kar Wai delivered the cut, which comes with more like title cards explaining things, more. Uh, stuff like that. Um, the original cut is very hard to find. I believe it has been restored and was temporarily available through the New York Film Festival. I didn't get a chance to watch it, uh, mm-hmm. but I would love to at some point. It is, if anything, a spectacular film to look at. Yes, um, it is. Uh, and some of the uh, fight scenes in uh, both in that film and in Ashes of Time, his two sort of uh, wuxia martial arts films, are really breathtaking. Um, and uh, I love the uh, Tony Long, uh, Zhang Ziyi 
relationship and the Grandmaster, I think it's really sort of uh, matches the sort of emotional depths of his best work. Um, obviously, it's not one of his like top three films, but it's very well done. Yeah. And um, uh, I think it certainly uh, is a film that I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't in the set. I was kind of hoping that they would have been able yeah. to get their hands on the original cut I, of I it. wondered if that might have had to do with the, the rights and with... Yeah. I don't know whether or not that there's so many movies that I wonder, you know, I know this is something to get off on in like a little bit of a tangent, like Kevin Smith has been, his, his scenario sounds like really, really hyper specific, but you know, he's talked about uh, the movie dogma that he did. He's like, that movie will never see the light of day ever again because the rights are so tied up in Harvey Weinstein that like someone would need to like pay him in order to like, re-release it or something and no one's going to do that for understandable reasons no absolutely and uh and yeah i mean and ashes of time is a similar thing to me though i i certainly understand um why people have said that's a very confusing movie um it's another film that wong personally recut himself uh you gave a little bit of background on on this already Uh, Mm um the fact that he's making that film he's really frustrated by it uh, he goes and makes Chunking Express, which is his sort of, um, you know, ends up being at the time his magnum opus. Um, and uh, then eventually, and this wasn't the IndieWire piece this earlier this week when I was talking about doing changes and stuff, because a lot of people have been shocked by the fact that he's gone and changed some of the new stuff with the restoration. Yes. And people are like, there is a history of this because he went back and he recut ashes of time into what is known as ashes of time redux or redo that's that's um, the version i went and saw which um, is yeah re- recently is kind of the most like widely available version to see it is yeah it's that's the one that's still out there um the way that i best felt the best way to approach that film if you're interested in watching it and you're curious certainly i would watch that and the grandmaster together because they're both um wong's riffs on a very particular um genre of um chinese martial arts stories um Mm. known as the sort of wuxia genre um you know originated by uh king hu and and, you know dragon in and uh a touch of zen and some of the other sort of great films from the 70s and so these are his sort of uh, art house riffs on those films um I best approached Ashes of Time in a very episodic fashion. Um, and I was able to get a lot out of it of just like the individual scenes and the mm. individual moments. Um, but it is certainly a film that doesn't necessarily cohere as well as some of his other work. So let's maybe then push those aside. People can check them out if they want to. Um, stuff in the box set. I don't know if you've got any further thoughts on as tears go by or days of being wild um, or chunking express, which are kind of like the first three in that grouping. Um, But if it, or or fallen angels, those being kind of the first four that are in this box set, um, do you have any kind of like last things to add about those? I I would say fallen angels, you know, I think if you're wanting something with a little bit more of a, Although Chunking Express has like crime movie elements in it, it. does. The first, yeah, the first cop like falls in love with like a hitman, you know, thief woman. Yeah, being super vague, but it was just like it's a vague character of like yeah. Both of those movies have these very like street level crime gritty. Yeah, she runs like a little drug smuggling ring in yeah. like the the sort of underworld of Hong Kong. Um, 
and she's sort of a mysterious character and yeah there yeah i always forget that but yeah there is like you know shootings in that movie where she's taken yeah so um certainly the first half of that film is very different from the second half um on the note of fallen angels i i don't i mean there are moments in that film that i think are some of uh wong's you know finest uh and there's other moments that i think end up uh you know, dragging the film down ever so slightly to the point where it's just mm-hmm. a little bit below uh, Chunking. But I would certainly um, watch those two films together um, and explore them together. And I think they're great. Um, as for his first few films, I'm really eager to rewatch Days of Being Wild when that restoration gets um, more widely available. Um, and uh, and yeah, but uh, Chunking Express is my favorite of his films. And I think it's... Uh, uh, one of the better uh, sort of, and like you've sort of talked about, a great sort of uh, international cinema uh, entry film at some point uh, for cinephiles looking to sort of explore the the sort of peaks of the last few years. That's a great one to check out. So some of the other kind of three movies at the center of this box set, um, Happy Together, which you mentioned you had seen once. Uh, I know our friend Hunter, who's been on the show many times, is is that's one of his favorite Wong yeah. Kar movies. Um, I, I I think it's good. It's sort of in that like kind of mid tier range for me. Um, like I said, it's it's set in Argentina. It's um got this um, the, you know both the characters are in this um gay relationship, which the way this movie tackles that relationship was in particular. I think from a lot of the stuff I read this past week, like very very um kind of groundbreaking and different for the mid 90s I mean, it was very very new to have a movie in the 90s where like two characters your sort of two lead characters were gay but like that was not the point of the movie like yeah it is it, it isn't philadelphia it isn't this movie about it isn't a gay rights movie the two characters just sort of happen to be gay and one they you know it, it is also this immigrant story of these two Chinese men who are two Hong Kong men going to uh, Argentina and working in various restaurants there. And as well as it has kind of the like one person longing and thinking back on the memories of one relationship in particular. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you got any particular thoughts on it. I think it's good. It's not one of the ones that I find myself like actively returning to, but the interesting though, in like reading this past week and viewing it through kind of like a, a historical context of how sort of um, unique it was for the moment that it came out in. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, a film with two um, great central performances um, by uh, Tony Lung, who's in a lot of, um, of Wong's films and then uh, Leslie Chung as well. Um, I am, yeah, I watched it once and I wasn't, super huge on it um it's a very repetitive film and it's probably wong's Mm. darkest film as well i would Um, agree it's about a very sort of um destructive relationship um there's a lot of yelling and a lot of fighting um so i side with if you explore letterbox reviews you'll see some people who are like yeah this is just like a little too like it doesn't quite there like you said there's certainly elements of it that fit within um the wong kar wai filmography um stylistically and thematically um but I had a hard time getting over the sort of um, the the rhythm of it and the way in which it's sort of um, it's a, one of these films where it, it sort of has that romanticism. Then it's about, you know, 
people who hate each other and then it's right. you know bad and so it's this sort of um a difficult film to get into and that would be the one that i would say um would be a struggle to um to if you were like going to i'm like i'm gonna watch my first wong kar wai film that wouldn't be my entry oh, point yeah, for him I would, I would not recommend because um, it is so vastly different from a lot of his filmography even though i mean like we've sort of talked about his films, you can sort of bracket them off into like, okay, there's the martial arts films. Those two right. go together. There's Chungking and Fallen Angels. Those go together. There's the trilogy. Um, Happy Together is sort of an, an outlier among those groups. It probably fits a little bit as um, sort of a stylistic sort of uh, melding of several of those films. Um, but it's one that I'm eager to revisit at some point. Certainly yeah, some same. moments I remember very well. And like I already said, with sort of uh, having a lukewarm reaction to Chung King Express the first time and then sort of falling in love with that film the second time, um, I think, um, you know, Wong Kar Wai's films are, you know, he had a great um, quote in that apparently he was exchanging interviews with uh, David Ehrlich earlier this week. And he had a great sort of point where he, he talked about the fact that, you know, we change along with films and, you know, it's, we, mm -hmm. we can keep our memory of it, but you know, we're never the same. The film is never the same as we remember it. Um, and I think that to me was particularly interesting given my relationship to his work. Um, and so even a film that when I first watched it, I, I sort of uh, bracketed off as lower tier uh, Wong Kar Wai. Um, I'm still eager to sort of see if I can get more out of it in the future. Yeah, and I know that's one of the ones that has undergone some of the most significant changes from it has, in terms yeah. of these restorations. Because I think he mentioned in that that interview um, with Ehrlich that um, you know that when they were redoing the audio, there were some audio tracks they just couldn't find. So he was like, "Fine, I'll take those scenes out." So there, this is like a shorter version of the movie, and there are certain scenes that are now like taken out of the movie just because they couldn't find a way to restore them. And so this is a, a much tighter cut of the movie. Yeah, um, the uh, the original negative was partially damaged in a fire, I believe, yeah. a few years ago. Um, and so there's been voiceover changes, like you said, scene changes. And we should note for, uh, I sort of alluded to this earlier, but before we move on from those other films altogether, um, like Fallen Angels is in a whole new aspect ratio. Um, yes. It used to be a 185.1 and now it's going to 235.1. I have no idea what that will look like or frankly, or just technically what that process entails. Um, so whenever I get a chance to watch uh, that film again, which probably won't be for a while now because I just watched it this morning, I will be certainly interested to see how that experience changes with the new um, ratio uh, on display. So yeah, it's certainly a lot of major changes, whether it's content, format uh, all sorts of interesting things going on with these restorations and kind of a perfect transition point to talking more about in the mood for love because one of the more um i don't, I don't know one of the more obvious changes that people noticed was sort of the color grading on a lot of these movies and in particular in the mood for love which is this yeah. like staggeringly beautiful movie and now has this kind of green tint to it um and that kind of, you know, that green tint makes certain colors not pop in the way that they would in kind of the 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 previous version that was released. And I don't know, I'm I'm fascinated to see that again. I mean, that's like, I don't know, among my ten favorite movies. It's yeah, we kind of mentioned it before. It is 
one of the the sexiest movies probably ever made it that kind of i i tried to explain the plot to a cousin of mine last night and i'm gonna see if i can do it better because it's it's so kind of tied up in ambiguities but essentially it's set in the 1960s you have these two married couples kind of move into an apartment complex together um on the same hall eventually the wife from one of the couples and the husband from another from the other couple begin having an affair their two spouses eventually discover this and begin hanging out with each other and that hanging out starts as this sort of um elaborate role play in which they pretend to be the other one's spouse you tell me at, at all of when i'm explaining this if, if it's like you're getting convoluted but so you essentially have these two people pretending to be each other's spouses in order for the other one to kind of sense or get an idea of like either how they can seduce back their spouse or what it is about the other person's spouse that seduced theirs in the first place and as the movie goes on it becomes this increasingly ambiguous scenario where you're not quite sure and the characters aren't even quite sure is this other person in love with me yeah is this other person becoming attracted to me or is this all part of like role-playing yeah and i don't know i i adore this movie so much and it is staggeringly beautiful in how it is is shot and composed and the colors that are brought out of it as well as just like I don't know, two of the sexiest people on earth, just Ma Maggie Chung and Tony Long in this movie are just like, I, I, I don't, they're, they're just, they're so, they're so, they're magnetic. so fucking hot. I just, yeah. I can't. <laughs> it is. No, it's, it's an incredible film. And I think you did a very good job of, of summarizing what it's about. I think I would, um, you're right. I mean, basically I would say if I was going to give a very brief summary, yeah, it's they're, they're, uh, spouses who we never see. That's a crucial right. detail as well. We see the back of their head, but we don't really, they're not characters. Um, they're these sort of, um, uh, you know, just these uh, concepts, these abstract ideas. Um, I believe Maggie Chung's husband works in Japan and like travels back yes. and forth. And so does Tony Long's wife, um, which eventually they sort of connect the dots. But you're right. It starts as this game. Um, and eventually it turns into what can really only be described as feature length foreplay. Um, and uh, it's them basically, you know, like you said, increasingly elaborate scenarios um, that end up drawing them closer to each other. Um, but it's not quite all like just like pure sexuality. Like there's also like a subplot where they're like writing a comic book together. Um, right. Which, which is really sweet. And, um, but also you're, but I think, you know, we, the reason we're highlighting the, the sexuality so much is like there is that just you know i think of the scenes in that movie where um you know maggie chung's character always goes and gets um noodles late at night and there's mm -hmm. these like slow-mo scenes of them like with this you know just exceptionally Passing romantic, each other on the staircase romantic and... music in the background yeah. and they're like barely brushing each other on the staircase and um yeah i mean it's a um it's like it's a PG rated film that is one of the sexiest films ever because um, and, you know, there's different I didn't realize this from the first time I watched this, but there's, you know, there's different theories about like 
the extent to which they go in their relationship. Right. Um, and I think some people think certain things, but um, you said it earlier and you're like, it's a film where sort of um, almost nothing happens or where it feels like a very uneventful film in some ways. Um, and this is true. Um, it always strikes me. And I think there was a tweet about this the other day. I think Wong Kar Wai said that his ideal running time is like 90 minutes. Um, mm. And in the mood for love is like 90 minutes and it goes by in a flash. And um, it's almost about sort of uh, the, the memory, the, the fleeting um, sort of sensory memories of a romance that never happened. Um, and yeah. it ends, it ends with one of the great scenes in movie history of uh, Tony Long whispering, their secret you can interpret whatever secret mm -hmm. uh it may be uh into um this sort of sacred location and uh yeah i'm i probably don't love it quite as much as you um yeah. sometimes i do feel like it, it it's like maybe perhaps just a touch slighter than i would want from my like full-blown masterpieces but man what a glorious film and yeah uh, i mean it's yeah. it's a great example of just I don't know, just a director completely enveloping you in a movie through almost nothing else but style. I mean, as yeah. we kind of hinted at the, you know, so much of the the engine of this movie, there's not really that much like plot. And by plot, no. I mean of like this event happens and then this event happens and that causes this to happen. It's really just sort of like how much can he squeeze out of mood and atmosphere and the music and having all of these very like eye popping kind of primary colors which is why i'm interested to see it now with this kind of green tint over it um and it's i would also say i mean i haven't seen days of being wild which you mentioned kind of transitions to this movie but having seen 2046 which i'm i don't think you and i have ever talked about this movie so i'm fascinated to hear what you think i watched it for the first time last year during quarantine and i like fell out of my seat i i loved it <laughs> but it is also just like like it is wong kar wai on steroids of yeah. it is it is long it is um <laughs> you know it it is a sequel in some ways to in the mood for love and follows the tony lung character who is now a um science fiction writer and is him just sort of reflecting on all these various mistresses that he's had over the years, but then also sequences that show how those mistresses materialize themselves in the science fiction work that he's writing. And all of this stuff is sort of constantly weaving together. And you're not quite sure at some point, like, is this real? Is this a dream? Like it, it's just sort of the, this never ending flow of memory and emotions but I would say, like In the Mood for Love, I think is a great, it, just as that movie, I think is such a great encapsulation of that feeling when there's someone that you like and you aren't quite sure if they like you and you're too afraid to act on it. This yeah. is is just sort of like that magnetized and even more just about kind of like longing and looking back on past relationships and being like man what should i have done different with that man i can't believe i was with this person and, and just sort of like never quite able to sort of live in the present because the past is just always sort of flowing within your head i don't, I don't know what do you think of this movie yeah so i also watched it last summer um 
And, uh, and yeah, no, it, it, I was, you were absolutely spot on in your introduction there. I went back and read the, um, short letterbox review that I wrote at the time. And the mm-hmm. first sentence of it is perhaps a bit too sprawling at times. And I do think that is the one key thing to know about 2046 is that, um, disregarding the, the martial arts films for a moment of all the films in, uh, Wong Kar Wai's filmography, it is the most sort of expansive, um, you know, multiple romances, multiple memories, um, all sorts of different things coupled with this, you know, like you said, the strange science fiction, uh, plot there's, line. That yeah. Goes there's like it. a blade runner train sequence or something yeah. like that. Um, and so it is this sort of very, um, you know, immersive cinematic experience, um and um and so yeah i mean i it's for me i don't think it's quite on the level of his top three um which for me would be uh chunking express in the mood for love and fallen angels um but it's still this great film and it brings together so many of the actors and actresses from um from wong's work and um what i noted at the time and I, i certainly remember this now is uh it's certainly a very nostalgic film even more so than a lot of his other films i mean all of the films uh you know most of the ones at least the ones that um use voiceover to some degree or seem to sort of play with uh time a little bit um mm-hmm. most of them almost always seem to be looking back on things like you were saying looking back on relationships looking back on memories um even like the uh part of the voiceover in fallen angels is all like in the past tense. It all seems to be sort of reflecting on moments and memories. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's, it's interesting that 2046 is a a sort of quasi sequel to uh, in the mood for love, particularly because it's just, I don't know. It certainly seems like the Tony Lung character in that film is a little bit more, um, it's a little bit you more know. of a sleaze than, yeah, like the other, than his more... In the Mood for Love character. Who, Yeah, and that was a little hard for me to get over, if I remember correctly, because it certainly is, like, part of the thing that's, like, I don't want to say that the In the Mood for Love romance is, like, wholesome. That word sort of, I'm allergic to that one. But it certainly seems it's, it's to be... sweet. It seems to be built on this sort of foundation of, of sort of mutual respect mm. and hesitancy. Um and you know my memory for i've watched so many movies over the last year in quarantine that some of my memories of particular movies are um you know i feel like they're failing me a little bit but um 2046 i think is like a a boozier film like there's more more drinking and there's more um you know uh, a bit more you know like i said closer in tone actually probably to happy together than some of the other films um not quite on the level of the sort of romantic animosity there but um but yeah i mean i I certainly think it's a great sort of epic encapsulation of a lot of uh of one car wise different films still sort of uh built on this foundation of romantic longing and nostalgia and um this sort of memory play of looking back at different romances and moments and wondering uh what could have been I, i marked in my notes from that first viewing that at one point uh Zhang Ziyi's character says, uh, too bad it didn't last while talking with, uh, uh, with Tony Long at one point. And that seems to be sort of the, uh, the foundation of so many romances in the Wong Kar Wai filmography of, you know, it was great for that fleeting moment. And, you know, we just couldn't make it last with some exceptions mm-hmm. possibly, but, uh, yes. yeah, great film and one that I'm eager to revisit the restoration of, because before that it was available, um, hard to find and available only yeah. in sort of subpar copies. 
I, I was I was just thinking like when you know this is probably the one I'm the most excited to revisit, if only because the you know the version I saw last year that I think was on Amazon Prime. The Amazon Prime cut is so butchered. I didn't even yeah, I didn't even it, watch it. I tried it to find it somewhere like else. It's kind of like blurry in sections. And, when they and window boxed mean, like, it, they window yeah. boxed it. So it's like it's a widescreen film, and it's a, it's a very sort of. Um, really relying on those widescreen compositions and so instead the frame is you know it's like a frame within the frame and it, it right. just looks awful so yeah I, i'm glad this is getting out there in higher yeah, quality I, and i, I hope it ends up on the channel last, yeah yeah i remember seeing it last year and was just like cr- criterion where where are you at we yeah. need we need the and sure enough then i seeing it that it was going to be in this box set i was like oh good it's like someone heard my prayers out there yeah because otherwise the only way you could find that is either international blu-rays or um there's been a sony pictures classic dvd copy of it that's been floating mm-hmm. around for years um that's out of print so yeah i'm glad this one is going back in print um, the one last thing I'll say on the restoration front is um, I saw this on Twitter the other day that um, not to get too gossipy, but I have heard someone said that they were going to perhaps conduct an interview with Christopher Doyle, the cinematographer for all of these films. And apparently he's not exactly thrilled with the fact that uh, Wong Kar Wai is making all these changes to their Interesting, cause previous I, I thought, work. I thought I saw in like one of the, maybe it was the interview Ehrlich did. I don't know. I I could have sworn I saw somewhere that he was like, um, I think in in terms of like fallen angels or something, he was like, yeah, we like shot this to be in this aspect ratio, but maybe I'm misreading something. No, but and I, 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 I yeah, I, I might be forgetting it thinks. too. But I would yeah. love to read that interview at some point. I forget who who tweeted it, but um, apparently that is a thing that might or might not be uh, coming out soon. And I think that would be interesting. But it's certainly a thing that's going to rate. It's going to be a big hot topic of discussion. I already saw it pop up again this week on film Twitter, where apparently um, Bong Joon Ho has his uh, restoration of Memories of Murder coming out um on criterion blu-ray in a couple months and apparently they've changed the color grading on that a little bit too um but it looks you know, dope though i don't got any i don't got any problems there yeah <laughs> no i mean my thing is you know I, I think i think filmmakers should have um you know a certain degree of control over their work i think a lot of people this everybody goes immediately and understandably so because it's the most prominent example but everybody immediately goes to the george lucas comparison i, I whenever... was just about to say Wong Kar wise history with this it's like the art house george lucas yeah. in terms of how he likes to just go back and tinker with stuff yeah no so i think i think people like to make that comparison but i do think that like i, I suppose there is a a difference to me between you know, if Wong was going back and adding new special effects to 2046, maybe I'd be a bit if more Watto hesitant. If Watto just like rolled out, exactly. And like maybe I'd be a little a date bit with Gong Li and a new scene, then that we maybe have some problems. Exactly, I'd maybe be a little bit more like mm, okay, but um, you know, I think it's interesting to. Uh, go back and see some of these things and hopefully the um, original copies still stick around at a certain point and I think the green tint could add something interesting to In the Mood for Love so you know I'm I'm open-minded I don't think he's making his films actively worse in terms of the way that Lucas did with the Star Wars special editions and the adding of just cluttering the frame up with digital junk Um, Mm. I think if anything it, it you know uh, or even to be well 
I think the key thing is availability. And a lot of people have said this, as long as those other versions are still right. available in some form or people are able to sort of keep copies of them, that's fine. Um, you know, it's sort of, to me, it's not even quite as extreme, but you know, we get all these stupid black and white versions of every, you know, blockbuster that wants to be taken seriously now at some point. And it's like, you know, it's been, whether it was Logan or Mad Max or Parasite, you can tell I'm a big fan of this trend. Can, um, can, can I time out and be like, I saw, first of all, if you haven't listened to the Snyder Cut episode that Hunter Howman and I did last week, would highly oh. encourage our listeners to do that, <laughs> even if you're not going to watch that movie. But I've watched the 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 trailer for the black and white version i i can't see anything that's happening in that movie maybe my eyes are bad but it's just sort of like that movie is dimly lit as is and to the point of just sort of like then when you make it black and white like there's so little light in that movie that all of a sudden it's just sort of like oh so i can only see two feet ahead of me in the frame yeah. now Okay. No, yeah. Ran it's, over. Uh, i just thought it's... that was absurd when i saw that <laughs> i have not watched the Snyder cut yet and I'm not sure I will but if I do it certainly won't be the uh monochrome version <laughs> well Josh thank you again for stopping by this week and uh discussing Wong Kar Wai's filmography with us absolutely thank you so much for having me